This podcast is for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. Hey, buddy. How's it going? It's fine. Nobody cares. I'm really excited to jump into this episode because when you first ran it by me, I'll be honest, I have no idea how the FLDS is a true crime story, but they're pretty weird. So there must be something they're up to. (laughs) So I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, there's a lot they're up to. In this episode, we're going to talk about, obviously, the fact that they're cold. So that's pretty crimey. Um, they're that prophets a pedophile. Oh, they're they're what? They're prophet? Yeah, he's a pedophile. Warren Jeffs, yeah. Oh, I'm interested to hear about that. Yeah, and there's missing children, and so this is like a three-for-one episode. Wow, so it's just all intertwined. Yeah, not to mention all the other crimes, like child abuse, child labor, bigamy, forced marriages, forced pregnancies, sexual assault, brainwashing, financial abuse, fraud, etc. Those are all illegal things? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> okay, perfect. I'm very interested, because we don't and do things like this. And I know you've been a little uh, not interested in doing the Church of Scientology for similar things that they've done. <laughs> yeah. So the fact yeah. that you're willing to jump into this must be something there. Yeah. Well, I'm, I've am always been mildly interested in this because since my dad moved to Utah and since I moved to Vegas, I've learned a lot about this group that I like never knew exist. Like, I can't believe this is even in America or that this even happened. This makes sense because I was wondering if this kind of had like a tie into your dad and stuff. Yeah. Well, no, he's not in the. FL. Well, I, yeah, I know that he's not into it, but since he moved to Utah. Well, yeah. Geographical ties. While we're thinking about it, we do have one housekeeping item to take care of. What? Just want to say thank you to everybody who reached out. And there were lots of you who reached out and said that you did know what a murder of crows was. And Erica oh, needs to get out more. I knew what it was. Ella didn't. Oh, it was Ella. Well, that's why she's not back this week. So no, it is not <laughs> why she's not back. Well, we'll go with that. I like it better. Yeah. All right. So before we jump into the FLDS, how are we going to pick a country song on the hot list? Because it's kind of all encompassing. We're not because I'm trying to keep this episode as short as possible. Oh, man. Okay. And who knows where to start with this because we're going to go back to the 1800s and then all the way up till now. So we'll just say no song. Sounds like Gene Autry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From the 1800s. He's just not the 1800s. Yeah, I know. But he was the oldest country person I could think of. So. It made sense to me. Okay, so who are the FLDS? Because there's the FLDS, there's the LDS. Like, what is the FLDS? So the FLDS is the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Not to be confused with the mainstream LDS, which is pretty much a watered-down version of the exact same thing. Just a different name? Yeah. All right, perfect. They're not the same thing anymore, but they all started as one religion. They all believed in the same stuff, and in the mid 1800s, they settled in the Salt Lake Valley in Utah. And I say settled because it originally started on the East Coast with a guy named Joseph Smith who started this religion because he like had a dream about some plates and then he wrote a book. Like dinner plates? Yeah, but they had religious inscribings on them. And so then he wrote the Book of Mormon when he was like 24, which from what I can tell is kind of like the translation of what he said was on these gold plates. <laughs> and Okay. Yeah. And he gained like a surprisingly large following and he would receive revelations from from Jesus and then like write him down. But some people didn't like that because they thought he was kind of like making shit up as he went. So him and his followers just kept moving west because they were trying to recruit more people to this religion. And everywhere they went, they would kind of get shunned or people would start being like, hey, guys, is this a cult or what's going on here? So they would just like <laughs> move on. 
If you have to ask if it's a cult, it's probably not a great sign that it's not a cult. Yeah. Well, then people started really noticing that there was a lot more wives than husbands in this situation. Just like the club. The more girls you can get in, the more chance you have for getting guys in. Yeah. And they were like, hey, it's kind of sketchy to have five wives. You guys can't do that. And they're like, well, our prophet said he read it on a plate, so it's all good. But everybody else didn't think it was all good, so (laughs) they had to just keep moving. Oh, well then. Who am I to judge? Yeah. So somewhere in Illinois, he became mayor of a town because he just moved all of his followers with him. And then, I don't know, they elected him like mayor of this town. They started changing stuff. They even changed the name of the town, which the people who already lived there kind of didn't love that they just came in and took over. And then a newspaper in that town wrote an article about him and how he was a polygamist. And this whole thing was made up so he could do whatever he wanted to like marry 14 year olds. And when Joseph Smith read this newspaper article he super didn't like that because he was like hey this makes me look like a creep and everybody's (laughs) like well i mean if the shoe fits i'm a little surprised that even then they thought marrying a 14 year old was weird because like that was kind of commonplace you know like yeah i actually think it was the fact that he it was more than one of them (laughs) you can only have one 14 year old wife but you can't have more yeah i think it was more the polygamy thing than the young wives but either way i have always kind of found it interesting that people get real weird about polygamy i mean Ultimately. Well, we'll get into why. Okay. Because they kind of let it go at first, but we'll we'll get into why because it's you'll see why it's not so good. I'm I'm really happy to learn because honestly, I don't really care if people have more than one wife. It doesn't really bother me. I think it's kind of weird, but yeah. I don't really care. So. Oh, I super don't care either if it's all voluntary. Right, right. Oh, okay. Oh, well, I get where There's- we're going. There's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, Gotcha. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I don't care if you want to be a thruple or whatever. I love watching those shows. That's fine. (laughs) If it's by your own choice. But anyway, this newspaper article that was written about this guy was not real flattering and he didn't like it. So he ordered the printing press of this newspaper be destroyed. That doesn't sound great. Like just destroy it. Just get rid of it. Yeah. And it really wasn't a smooth move because an angry mob formed and they rioted in the street because they were like, you're taking too much power. You're doing weird. Like, you can't just destroy private property. So Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram were charged with inciting a riot. I mean, I know parents can name them kids whatever they want, but Joseph and Hiram are very different names. (laughs) Yeah. The names are interesting. I don't know where they come from. So anyway, they turn themselves in. And once they're arrested, the charges are upgraded to treason because the state of Illinois said that he committed treason when he enacted martial law during the riot or something. It was a huge mess. But while they were in jail awaiting trial, he and his brother Hiram were murdered by an angry mob. They just broke into the jail and killed him. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. So this actually worked out a little bit. I mean, not so much for Joseph Smith, but it did for his followers, kind of, because they sort of idolized him for this. Like he was he turned into like a martyr because he died for their religion. So instead of just disbanding and being like, oh, that sucks. Our prophet died. They like <laughs> really. Oh, nuts. He's dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this religion was only like 14 years old when this happened. So, I mean, it would have been very likely for everybody to just kind of disband and go their own ways. But they didn't. They came together and, oh, now he's a hero because he died for our religion. So anyway, they keep it moving west because obviously they burn their bridges a little bit in Illinois. And they pick a new leader, Brigham Young, because he was charismatic and he was like one of the leaders of the church or whatever. So they choose him. Because he likes it when they bring them young. Oh, funny. You're going to get us canceled as fuck by the moment. I didn't. I mean, am I wrong? We've been talking about 
marrying young kids and bring them young, bring them young. I, I think it flows very nicely. It does. So anyway, they were already distrustful of outsiders because of all this. People don't like the polygamy thing and they don't like that they're making up their own religion and stuff. But it's next level after Joseph Smith is murdered because they're like, look, outsiders will murder us literally over our religion. So automatically they're very closed off. But by the mid-1800s, they land in Utah, and it wasn't Utah yet, it was just territory. And they decided that that it was so far west and so remote, nobody would bother them. And the government was like, yeah, that's fine. You could be in the middle of nowhere, there's nothing there anyways. But the indigenous people were like, hey guys, uh, we're here, and we kind of don't like that you're sending us your weirdos. (laughs) And everybody was like, well, sorry about it. We don't really care. (laughs) So they settle in Utah. And in 1849 or 1850, they're just doing their own thing in Utah at this point. They're living polygamy. Everything's fine. Nobody's bothering them. They're not bothering anybody. It's just whatever. But they apply for statehood because a couple other states were doing it. And they were like, oh, that'd be cool if the government would send us money. And so they apply for statehood. And Congress said, absolutely, no way in hell you're becoming a state. We shipped you guys out so that you wouldn't bother us anymore. Not so we had to support you. (laughs) Yeah. But it's really because since they had been in Utah and they were so isolated and stuff, they they were just freely flaunting the whole, they call it plural marriage, but polygamy where you have more than one wife. And the government found out about this, that they were like freely practicing polygamy. And they were like, no, you can't be a state. And by the way... That's not allowed. So we're going to send troops in to, like, stop this bullshit. So President Buchanan decided that he was going to send the army and a new governor for the territory to replace Brigham Young. Because he's like, you need a whole new guy. Are you keeping with it? I'm, I'm keeping with it. I'm just like, yeah, this is getting already kind of out of hand. I know it's wild. Literally the Wild West. I was like, I thought that was cowboys. Apparently it was Mormons. So tensions are really high with this threat of invasion and war. They considered it like a war on their religion because they were tired of running and having to hide and they had finally like settled in Utah and they were like, no, we're going to just do this. This is where we're going to stand our ground pretty much. So martial law was enacted by Brigham Young and they decided to attack a group of Arkansas immigrants who were invading, but they really weren't invading. They were just passing through on their way to California. But some people say they had beef with the Arkansas group because I guess some Mormon guy was killed in Arkansas or something. But either way, this wagon train of people was coming from Arkansas to California, so they were going through Utah, and they came up with this ruse to pretend that it was indigenous people that were attacking this group of migrants. So, real quick, you say they immigrated from Arkansas? Yeah. They were trying to go from Arkansas to California. Just, you never think of people going from Arkansas to California as immigrants, but I mean, I guess that's what they are. Well, yeah. I mean, back then, these weren't states or like these were different countries. I mean, not really. They were territories, but they weren't states. But I mean, let's be real. Arkansas and California are still two different countries. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Pretty much the entire South is just a whole different. But see, they they feel the opposite. Like they think the people in California are nuts. Like everywhere is so different here. But anyway, yes, they were going from Arkansas to California. So these Mormon militia members decided that they were going to attack this group for some reason. And it might have had something to do with a Mormon missionary that was killed in Arkansas. But we don't really know. This whole thing is like pretty secretive. But they decided to dress up as the Paiute indigenous 
indigenous people, and they recruited a couple of the Paiute tribe members, but they mostly just dressed up like them and attacked this wagon train. But it turned into like a five-day battle because these guys from Arkansas fought back, and a shitload of them noticed that these guys were white. They were not indigenous. <laughs> so the leaders of the Mormon militia and maybe even higher up leaders ordered that the attackers kill this whole wagon train party. And they were like, yeah, that's what we've been trying to do for five days, but we're a bunch of idiots and we haven't been able to do it. So these dickheads decided to hold up a white flag like they were surrendering. And they walked into the camp and told these immigrants, migrants, whatever you want to call them, pioneers. I don't know what you call them. They told them that they were going to lead them safely out of the Paiute indigenous area because they shouldn't be there. And that's why the Paiutes were attacking them. So they were like, oh, great. Thank you. You're going to lead us to safety. And then these assholes started leading them to safety and they just slaughtered them oh yeah they literally killed 120 men women and children they only left 17 kids alive that were too young to like talk about what happened then they just took all their shit and auctioned it off and they gave the little kids to like local families to adopt and said okay we're just like never going to talk about this again which was pretty convenient because this wow. happened right before the civil war broke out so that was kind of a distraction and only one of these guys was ever tried for these murders there was like one guy that took the fall for this whole thing so that none of the other mormon militia members would get in trouble so this one guy said, like, eh, it was me. I did all of this by myself? Yeah, pretty much. He was the only one tried for it. And there was this whole big uproar about how Brigham Young might have ordered this. And the LDS Church has denied that and denied that. And over the years, they denied that there was any Mormon involvement at all. And they literally just shut the fuck up about it. They were like, nope, we weren't involved. But eventually, in like 2007 or 2008, like 150 years later, they admitted for the first time that Mormons were involved and they issued a public apology. Did they say that Brigham Young had issued the no the go on it? No, they still don't admit that. They admit he was a shot caller. <laughs> no, no. But seriously, dude, in Utah public schools, textbooks literally blamed the Paiute indigenous tribe until like the 1980s for this whole thing, and it was not them. They were like, the, I don't know, it was those. I mean, that's a huge problem throughout this country. Is like we're like, yeah, this is kind of what happened, but it's really not. <laughs> it's like, uh, just tell us the truth. That's all we're looking for. Just some truth. That's it. Yeah. So eventually they did tell the truth and they even erected this huge memorial at the site where it happened. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And then after they did that, they're like, okay, again, we're never going to talk about this. <laughs> so they just kind of forget that happened. <laughs> now that it's up, take it down. No, no, it's up. But they're just like, that's all we're doing. We issued an apology. We built a monument. We're done talking about this. And if you ask them about it still, they kind of like whitewash it a little bit. It's kind of interesting. It's really an interesting I the reason I'm putting all these stories in here is to like just give you a little background on how this all happened, how this church formed. So things are a bit wild out here in Utah. And this didn't help their reputation to become a state because all of Congress is like, hey, you can't kill people when they're just passing through your territory. And by the way, you cannot have that many wives. This wife thing was a huge issue for Congress, like the biggest of the issues, bigger than like killing all these people. They were like, you can't have that many wives. My bigger issue is killing all the people, got to be honest. Yeah, yeah, but for some reason, they were real into this no, don't have that many wives thing. Is there something in the Bible that says that? I mean, because I guess that would make sense if Congress was all up in arms about that. But is I don't know. Is there? No, it's just immoral. In fact, I'm pretty sure polygamy was in the Bible. Didn't Abraham have like a bunch of wives? Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, that sounds anyway, right. Yeah. So this new governor that Buchanan sent to take over, he quits. <laughs> 
No, yeah. this is too much. Yeah, because all these people want to bring him young. Like, they're like, we're not going to listen to you. We want our guy. There was other ones that Buchanan appointed because when this guy quit, he like sent another one and that guy quit and just they kept quitting. Eventually, the army quit. I didn't know the army could do that. Yeah. The Civil War broke out in 1861, so the troops that were sent to Utah to get this shit together just were like, "Uh, I guess we better go deal with this. And they just packed up their shit and went back to the East Coast. I like that. I kind of. Yeah. And they do this all like in covered wagon, too. Like they had to go back like by covered wagon that took like months anyway. So, oh, my God. This actually created a pretty big boom in the economy there in the Salt Lake Valley because the troops didn't want to just like carry everything back that they had accumulated and acquired. So they just like auctioned everything off like pretty cheap. So all these people got like things that they didn't have before because the army was like, hey, we're leaving and we're not carrying all this stuff. So, yeah, they went back to the East Coast to fight in the Civil War. So the LDS kept control for a while. It wasn't until a few years later when like miners showed up, gold miners and stuff, mineral miners, and they kind of tried to settle things out a little bit. Like, hey, this is, what the hell are you guys doing out here? Then in the 1870s or 1880s, one of Brigham Young's wives, Anne Young, divorced him. Ooh. Yeah. That's gotta be a huge deal. Yeah, you can't piss off women because they get vengeful. It's kind of our thing. So she writes this book called Wife Number 19, My Life in Bondage. And it's pretty bad. It doesn't paint a very good picture of what they were doing with this plural marriage thing. Like, women are literally slaves. So when the U.S. government got a hold of this and started hearing about this stuff, they really snapped on what was going on. Because now it wasn't just weird and yucky and immoral. They're realizing that it's not even voluntary. It wasn't like... Oh, we all love our husband and sharing is caring. It was literal human trafficking and slavery. Can't do that. Yeah, like these women were not treated well at all. They were a commodity that their fathers and husbands just like traded around and forced to marry whoever and forced to have as many children as possible because their salvation depends on it. They had no control over what happened to them and had no voice to like say they didn't want to do something or even in the afterlife. Like they have to do all this stuff because their salvation depends on it. And then in the afterlife, all they get to be is a wife. Like, like of many, like of one of many too. Like there's really no yeah. benefit for yeah. for women in any of this. Yeah. They're like forced to live this all through life and to get their husband to the highest level of the celestial kingdom or whatever they say, you know, the highest level of their afterlife. And their afterlife depends on, on their husband, on their husband's status in the church. It's like, what? So yeah. like that whole- They're doing like, all the work. Yeah. So like the whole like planet thing, like after they die- do they get to go to that go planet? That. Oh, okay. Yeah, they do, but like all they get to be is a wife. <laughs> like there's no reward for them in the after. It's the same exact on earth as it is after. Is there any kind of like hierarchy of like, oh, you're the number one wife or the two wife or the seven wife or just you're all just a wife and you're here to bear children? I mean, I'm sure it depends on each family how that goes, but I don't know. I've seen a lot of documentaries and it does seem like the first wife is usually the most preferred, but then the newer wives are more preferred by the husband because they're younger. <laughs> So it's like, I don't know. Oh, man. It's just a yeah. 
no-win situation for there for the ladies. Which is why it's not like, oh, these women are joining like because they want to. It's like, this is a problem. They're not doing this because they want to do it. So Congress started passing a bunch of anti-polygamy laws because they're like, this isn't cool. Like, it's immoral, it's weird, it's gross, but also these women are literally being held captive. So they pretty much told the LDS church that they'll never be a state. Utah will never become a state if you don't stop this polygamy. So finally, in 1890, this is like 40-something years later after they applied for statehood the first time, the LDS Church issues the 1890 Manifesto saying no new plural marriages. We're denouncing that. Like it was grandfathered in. If you already are in one, cool, but no new ones? Yes. No new plural marriages. So then they applied for statehood again, and voila, it was granted because they denounced plural marriage. But they kept fucking around with these plural marriages for a while, like another 10 years or something or more. And finally, Congress had to hold these hearings to seat a senator from Utah in like 1904. And the polygamy issue was at the forefront again, even though the guy they were seating was not a polygamist. There were still plural marriages being done in the church. So at these meetings, the church president, who had a bunch of wives himself, had to issue a second manifesto and denounce plural marriage in front of Congress. Like, for real. He had to be like, hey, guys, for real this time. So, like, they didn't really believe it. They were just trying to do what they had to do to get through Congress. Yeah. So, but now this time... They order excommunication from the church for anybody who does it. By 1904, they're like, we're pretty sure this is not going to go over well anymore. So, like, let's just stop this. So, since 1904, the mainstream LDS church has abandoned plural marriage. Although, only kind of because they still believe in the afterlife that that's what they're going to do. But that's a whole other rabbit hole we're not going to get into. But in this life, they agree that, like, it's not socially acceptable. We need to adapt. We need to, you know, if we want to be a state and we want to be a civilized community we need to adapt to social norms so they denounce polygamy for real they're like no more we're done with it at least not on this life the next one we can do but this life yes not so much yes okay which also i still don't know i'm like how are you keeping women if that's what you're working towards it's like fuck it i'm out of here but that's just me So 1904, this is the official split of the LDS church because the mainstream Mormon church now says no more plural marriages. But some men refused to let go of this principle of plural marriage. So they splintered off and started a fundamentalist group called the FLDS. Oh, so they were taking it back old school. Yes. And they recruited people by telling them that the mainstream LDS church just completely perverted their principles by banning something that they 100% believe is required in their religion. Wow. To reach the highest level of salvation in the celestial kingdom or whatever they say, this it's like required to live polygamy. So they feel like because the LDS church denounced it, that they're kind of like out of line. They're like, that's not right. So that's where we are. LDS have adapted to what's more socially acceptable and continued to with other things over the next 120 years. Like they continued to get more, you know, with it as far as like what's acceptable. But the FLDS is like, fuck it. We're going rogue or not rogue. They're just doing the same weird gross shit they've always done, but they're not changing. And they're more vocal about it because I mean, sounds like they didn't stop doing it. They just stopped talking about them doing it. What do you mean? I mean, like, this was still, like, a tenant of their religion, so they 
weren't, it's not that they didn't stop doing it. I'm sure these guys still had many women, a, a harem, if you will. No, they did until 1904. That's what I was saying. That was the real split was in 1904. That's when the, the LDS church said no more. And that's why the fundamentalist group started, because all the people that wouldn't denounce it decided to go fundamentalist. And gotcha. then the regular, yeah, the regular LDS church started adapting to be more civilized and socially acceptable and like people will take them seriously and oh yeah so that's where we are there's a bunch of flds up in salt lake and they're pretty big black eye for the regular lds church because they're like kind of embarrassed by it because <laughs> it's kind of like a stain on their reputation but there's also a settlement in a place called short creek which they call short creek or the creek the creek yeah it's it's creek it's spelled c-r-e-e-k so it's, it's Creek, and it's right next to a place called Hurricane, Utah, and they absolutely pronounce it Hurricane, Utah, but it is spelled Hurricane, so I refuse, and my dad gets super mad at me. He's like, it's Hurricane. I'm like, no, they should have spelled it Hurricane then, because <laughs> it's spelled Hurricane. And it's pronounced Crick? Yeah. So this short Crick is in southern Utah on the Arizona border, and it's convenient for these polygamous fundamentalists because it's remote, and it's two towns. It's Hilldale, Utah and Colorado City, Arizona. So when like the Arizona authorities were heating up and after them, they could bounce over to Utah and be out of their jurisdiction. And then when the Utah authorities were like, hey, you can't have 50 wives, then they just bounce back to Arizona. Like it's geographically convenient for that. Right. But there's a whole other, a lot of other reasons why they settled this area. Not just that. There was like something where Brigham Young said one time, like a really long time ago, that that was going to be where the head of the church was at some day and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, in 1935, the LDS church officially excommunicated the people in Short Creek. The ones who were practicing polygamy, they were saying they were fundamentalists, but they still believed in the LDS church. They just thought the LDS church was out of line for not doing polygamy anymore. So in 1935, the regular church officially excommunicated everybody that was still living polygamy. And if they wouldn't sign this oath denouncing polygamy, then they excommunicated them. Wow. Yeah. So in the FLDS, at first, there was like a governing council of like seven dudes. And it was kind of contentious because they all had their own ideas about how to like run this new church, what they believed in and what they were doing. So this is when like some splintering off kind of happened of these fundamental groups. And they formed different fundamentalist groups. Like Warren Jeff's FLDS is not the only fundamentalist group. Oh, they franchised that's great yeah <laughs> yeah there's also the <laughs> aub the kingston group there's one led by a guy named winston blackmore up in bountiful canada there's the centennial group like there's a bunch of splinter groups and some of these splinter groups happen because they weren't into the one man rule doctrine they liked that there was a council of seven guys and a bunch of people running things. But the FLDS decided that they had one leader. He was kind of in charge of everything. So some of these splinter groups happened because they were like, hey, that's bad news. You can't have one guy in charge. He'll get corrupt. And they're like, well, that's how we're going to do it. This was okay in the beginning, I guess. The leaders were reasonable and there wasn't like super a lot of drama. You don't hear a lot about what happened in the first years. But in the 1950s, the church was growing big time because they produce children at a much higher rate than your average Joe. Yeah. 
So when all the children that were born into this FLDS in the beginning, by the 50s, they're now teenagers and adults, and they're having lots of kids, and they're they're multiplying. It's getting bigger. And they're a very, very closed society because what they practice isn't legal. So they tend to stick to themselves, which creates another problem of, like, incestuous relationships where people are marrying cousins and stuff. Oh, instead of the celestial kingdom, it's an incestual kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> Good one, awesome, right? Grant. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. So they've always had this, like, outsiders are bad thing because of the polygamy. But as the world evolves even more, they are becoming more and more closed off because they're not evolving. They're, like, going backwards. So by 1953, the Arizona authorities were pretty clear that they were not going to end up like Utah. They're like, we're not putting up with this shit. We're going to enforce polygamy. We're going to enforce the laws of polygamy on Arizona soil. Because Utah had kind of let it go. Even though they knew people were practicing polygamy, they kind of just, like, let it happen because they weren't interested in breaking up families or you know what I mean they're like they're not doing anything else wrong except having a lot of wives which like you said is not that big of a deal yeah I don't think it's a big deal if it's consensual right but the Arizona authorities were like yeah it's kind of a big deal like it's literally slavery and he warned that this group was dangerous because at the rate that they reproduce this could grow to a very unmanageable number in a very short amount of time which he was not wrong about that. Eventually, the FLDS would have like 10,000 members within like a couple of generations. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of fucking going on. Yeah. So one morning in July, <laughs> I can't believe you just said that. I can't either, to be totally honest, but I didn't know what yeah, else to say. Yeah, they don't call it that. Oh, what so. do they call it? Love making? No, they don't talk about it at all. They just say nothing. They don't learn about it. They don't talk about it. Nothing. It's like a big shock when these girls have to get married and then their husbands are like, okay, this is what we have to do. They're like, what? They know nothing. They don't know anything about reproduction or we'll get into that. So by <laughs> that's not yet. Great. The talk. We're getting the talk on the podcast tonight. I'm so excited. Yeah. So by 1953, the Arizona authorities, like I said, they're over it. They're like, we're not doing this. So one morning in July of 1953, the Arizona Department of Safety and the National Guard raided the compound, the FLDS compound in Short Creek, Dude, right before sunrise. This sounds more like when we like invaded Osama bin Laden's compound, not like jumping into Arizona and Utah compounds. I know. It's wild that this happens in like the United States, but they arrested 36 men and 86 women. I'll give you a second to do the math on that. Oh, I've already done the math. Thank you. Yeah. It's more than two to one. They also took into custody 263 children. Oh, oh, that's a lot of kids. That's a lot of 36 kids. 36 Men. Yeah, that's a lot. I, I haven't done the math on that, but that's a lot. Yep. So this was huge news because the authorities really had never charged anyone with polygamy before. Like It was a very hard crime to prosecute because they were not in the business of breaking up families. So if they weren't doing anything else illegal, they really didn't go after polygamists. They were just like, fuck. Like it's illegal, but they didn't do anything about it. But this raid had the opposite intended result. They intended to kind of expose this closed group and people to be like, oh, weird, like you can't have five wives and 900 kids and just keep being incestual and doing weird stuff. The media sympathized with them and like felt bad for these kids being ripped from their parents and kind of presented the whole thing as like religious persecution instead of like trying to help these kids get out of this bad situation. 
I didn't see that coming because typically we're all pretty Mm -hmm. on board with, you know, ending things like this. Yeah. No, this is back in the 50s, though, and the media sympathized with them. They felt bad that these kids were ripped from their parents. So some of the men spent a really long time in jail, like years, two years, and some of the kids weren't returned to the parents for a long time like up to two years. But the FLDS used this raid as a scare tactic, and they became even more distrustful of the outside world and more closed off and more into themselves. Kids were homeschooled or sent to a school called Alta Academy, which was like run by the FLDS. And that was convenient for the FLDS because they were able to like only teach these kids what they wanted them to learn. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's just kind of like going to the schools we went to, you know, like, They were Christian schools, so they just taught us what they wanted us to learn. Obviously, there's state curriculum involved too, but yeah, I mean, that's what they wanted us to learn, so that's what we learned. Right, but with this Alta Academy, they didn't follow any kind of state curriculum. They learned a little bit of reading and math, but like no science. They just ripped everything out of the science textbooks that didn't agree with their religious teachings. They took everything out about like reproduction, anatomy, sexual education. Like there was none of that. That we didn't do in our schools. (laughs) That they left in. (laughs) Right. But they didn't teach history except church history. They only taught these children what they wanted them to know. So, like I said, they had no, like, health or sex education, but they did have a tailored curriculum for young girls on what's expected of them in plural marriage. Spoiler alert, it's everything. I was going to say. They're expected to do everything. So they're expected to do everything, and the men are just supposed to, like, walk around and, like, be fruitful and multiply? Yes. But they get to do everything, and their salvation is based on if they keep their husbands happy and how many kids they have. Oh, wow. Literally, they have to do everything in the home. They have to, you know, but then they have to give all the credit to their husbands. It's really wild. Oh, I don't know. I don't. You would not have anything to do with this. You would punch people in the face. Of course. I I feel like, though, when you're hearing about this, most people would be like, fuck that. I'm not joining. But that's why they're breeding these kids into it. Like, they're not. These kids don't have any outside knowledge that this isn't normal. They think this is life. They don't know any different. But even when they're, like, teaching these girls this curriculum of, like, what's expected of them as a wife, they don't teach them physically what's going to happen to them. They just say, you're going to give yourself to your husband and you're going to keep sweet and shut the fuck up and do whatever they say and you're going to have lots of kids and that's the end of it. They don't tell them physically what's going to happen to them. So it's, like, big surprise when it happens, which is real traumatizing. Yeah, it sounds like it. So, a guy named Rulon Jeffs decided to send his wives away kind of around this time for safety because of the raid and like fear of more raids so Rulon by the way joined in 1941 when he was excommunicated from the regular LDS church how do you spell Rulon is it R-O-O or R-U R-U L-O-N oh L-O-N oh yeah Rulon oh that's what I said man if he hadn't done this like Rulon's kind of a cool name like right Rulon man sorry he's not the terrible bad guy his son is but he's pretty bad too don't get me wrong Rulon joined the FLDS in 1941 when he was excommunicated from the regular LDS because his wife divorced him because he was having revelations that God wanted him to take on more wives. And his first wife was like, oh, well, we're not allowed to do that anymore. So no thanks. Goodbye. And she divorced him. So he joined the (laughs) FLDS because the regular LDS church kicked him out pretty much. So by the 1950s, he's in deep. He's got a couple of wives, and he's pretty high up in the FLDS. So he sends one of his pregnant wives to California during all this, like, raid stuff, like, and shortly after, because it was kind of sketchy. And this is where she gives birth to their son, Warren Jeffs, in 1954. 
Warren Jeffs is two months premature. And back then there was like zero chance of survival when you're premature because they didn't have all the knowledge they have now. So like preemies were just like, oh, that baby's going to die. That's oh, man. Bye. Yeah. So when this idiot survived, his mom and dad, Rulon and his mom, I forget her name because he had like 90 wives. So I forget which one was his mom. But they treated him like he was Jesus Christ reincarnated. They were like convinced he was special because he was two months premature and survived. So all growing up, his mom urged him to be close to his dad, and his dad was very vocal that Warren was his favorite child. Which, when you have like 65 kids, to point one out and be like, that one's my favorite, that's kind of a dick move. But he was real high up in the FLDS, Rulon. So he kind of just did whatever he wanted. I don't think he cared that much about whether his other kids were upset by that. (laughs) So he was some high priest or apostle or some shit, whatever they call it. So he had a lot of wives and a lot of other kids. And like I said, Warren was the one that he was like, this one, he's my guy. Which was kind of weird because Warren was awkward and gangly and like not a cool kid. Like people did not like him. Oh, interesting. So like, yeah, he just went from because he's basically a miracle. So he's like, no, this is... This is probably the savior. But then they treated him like a god growing up because of that. So then it just kind of like fed into his narcissistic personality disorder. So it was just kind of like a whole big problem. So by the time he was 18, he had just graduated from this fake school called the Alta Academy. Literally just graduated. He was 18. And right away, he was appointed principal of Alta Academy. His dad and the other senior church members were like, yeah, you should be the principal. You seem qualified. Yeah. And right away, he started abusing his power. He was just like... Well, yeah. I mean, you can't give, first of all, you can't give any 18-year-old kid, like, a super ton of power, especially over, like, other 17, 18-year-old kids. Like, that's weird. 100%. But also younger kids, too. Like, I mean, he was in charge of this whole school. So he started getting real strict. He taught with an iron fist. Like, he beat kids when they, you know, punished them when they were disobeyed. Like, it was bad. But he taught perfect obedience and not to have anything in your head except to keep sweet and do as your prophet and your husband tell you to do. Like, that was literally, like, what he led the school with. Keep sweet, huh? Yeah, that was kind of like their weird little term that they used. Um, It was pretty much like they told women you weren't allowed to have any feelings i mean that's a very gist of it it's way more intense than that but like they can't feel jealousy or anger or frustration they can't question anything especially by a man their husband or the prophet any man so the the keep sweet thing was like you just always have to have a smile on your face and just do what you're told not only can you not show that you're angry or jealous or you disagree with something you're not even supposed to feel it you're only just supposed to have sweetness in your heart that is intense. Yeah, super healthy, you know. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It's like, that's a whole other reason I wouldn't survive in this. I was like, I can count on one hand how many times I've been sweet to anybody. Uh, you're, you, well, unless it's like a cashier or something, you're usually pretty nice. But, well, <laughs> and they've pissed you off and there's a line. But normally you are pretty nice, I will say. <laughs> But, yeah, but I, I there are times, but I definitely don't hide my feelings. Like if I'm not happy about something, I'm you're going to know it. <laughs> so uh, not only will we know it, everybody around will know it. Right. But these girls, they're not allowed to have any feelings. They're not even allowed to question anything. 
Like if their fathers or their prophet or their husband or somebody is like, walk 17 steps that way, they just go, okay, with a smile. So he also started adding more and more things to what the prophet represented in his teachings at the school. He started turning from like the leader of the church or the prophet being like a mouthpiece to God. He started making it seem more like the prophet was practically God. They were the same thing. He started teaching kids in school and stuff that the prophet knows what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're saying, and he can't do anything wrong. No matter what the prophet does, he's infallible. Even if he makes a mistake, he, you can't think it's a mistake. It, there must be a higher purpose for it. So he would say that perfect obedience could be led by a hair, you know, because like a piece of hair is real fragile. Right. So he was saying that he should be able to lead you by one strand of hair and any resistance that you give him would snap that hair. There can't be any resistance. So things become stricter and stricter and stricter over the years, like in the church and in the school. Then in 1986, when Leroy Johnson, the current leader of the church, dies, Rulon Jeffs proclaims that he's the new prophet. So Warren's dad. Right. And by this time in the church, they have what's called the UEP, which is the United Effort Plan, which is a real big piece of shit financial thing that they did where they said, everybody give us all your land and all your money and all your shit. And then we'll like divide it evenly, which for some reason, cults always do that. They think it's going to be a really good way to make everything equal and everybody's going to give money and then the church will give you back what you need, which never works out. But they have this. So all the houses and the property and everything. Everything in this Short Creek area are all owned by the church. And then the church says, okay, you have a wife and kids now and you want to build a house. You can build it on this piece of land right here. So then you go in, you build your house, you live there, your family, everything, but you don't own it. You don't own your house. You don't own the land. Nothing. It's all owned by the church. It's going to be a problem later. It's probably already a problem now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they also have, by this time, the placement principle. They call rules principles, by the way. I don't know if you've picked up on that. Oh, yeah. No, I got it. Okay. So when your daughters are old enough, you take them to the prophet to be placed in a marriage. So like when you when you have a daughter and you go, okay, I think she's old enough. She's ready to get married. You go to the prophet, Rulon, and you say, here's my daughter. I'm giving her to you for placement. And then he decides who the daughter marries. There's no courting. There's no dating. There's no like deciding you're going to marry somebody. You turn your daughter in and the prophet picks who she marries. Like the sorting hat in Harry Potter. I know you don't get it, but trust me, other people are going to like it. Yeah. So some of these people they've never even met. They might be 90 years old. They might be related. They might be your cousin. You never know. Just whoever the prophet decides. So the other... (laughs) How does this anybody think this is a good idea? Yeah. Well, the other problem with this placement principle, among the obvious, <laughs> is that when this happened, uh, Rulon was like, oh, I'll just marry all of them. You know, I mean, he did give some of them to like his sons and other prominent members in the church, but he literally was just marrying all these young girls at like 85 years old. Wow. And a guy would give up his daughter and there would be no contract about it, but he would give up his daughter. And then all of a sudden the prophet would bless him with another wife. And that's their goal is to have as many wives and children as possible. So they're like, awesome. So women are currency yeah like that's literally the problem is that women turned into currency when they started trading them pretty much trading wives and daughters 
that's absurd. Like just absolutely absurd that this is going on anywhere is just ridiculous. Yeah. And so the biggest problem, like I was saying with the UEP, the United Effort Plan, and this placement principle thing is they were using women as pawns. Like if somebody wanted another wife, they'd give up a daughter. If the church was mad at you about something, they could just take your house away. They could just be like, no, you can't live there anymore because it belongs to the church. Get out. And then you would be in bad standing with the church. So you'd be like, oh, here's my young daughters. Can I go back home now? And they'd be like, okay. They had control over everything. So one of the weird things that they taught in this era of the church with Rulon as the prophet was that he could not die. Rulon literally (laughs) taught his followers that he couldn't die. He told them that when he dies, he would be made new again by God and then come back like he was always going to be their prophet. Oh, nice. Yeah. So in the late 90s, Rulon was like 88. He had a massive stroke and he couldn't no longer lead services or do really much of anything because he had a big stroke. So this is when Warren started kind of like positioning himself to take over. He would say that Rulon needed his rest so that he could be renewed and made young again. And that his dad was telling him, the prophet was telling him to do this or do that. And he started leading the church services and all that kind of stuff. So and he just kept saying like his dad needed his rest to be renewed. But this is what he's telling me to tell you. Like he began being his dad's like mouthpiece. And everyone bought this at this point because if this guy says the sky is green, these people change the textbooks the next day and start teaching that the sky is green principle. Nobody questioned this. They were just like, okay, yeah, he's getting renewed. Fine. So in 2002. <laughs> this is so culty. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. How are we not cluing in sooner, yeah. guys? There's been talks about this for a long time. But at this point, the authorities are kind of like leaving them alone because of that raid in 53, like got a lot of bad press. <laughs> About, like, why are you persecuting these people for their religion? So everybody's just kind of, like, turning a blind eye to this right now. So in 2002, Rulon, who's, like, 90-something and has, like, 65 wives, he dies. He just kicks the bucket. So, which is pretty upsetting for the people who were like, hey, I thought he couldn't die. Like, what's going on with that? Right. (laughs) Like, they're pretty shook. So they just kind of, like, wait. They have this funeral, and then they're all just sitting around, like, waiting for him to wake up. Because they think he's going to, like, be renewed and be be still their prophet. That's so weird. So, so strange. Like, okay. But that's what they believe, Grant. That's what they've been taught their whole lives, you know? But, like... I will even buy into karma or reincarnation as like a new spirit being whatever from from baby to adult again. But yeah, so so they're just kind of waiting. Then Warren says like, hey, guys, I'm Rulon. He was made new again by inhabiting my body. And they were like, oh, thank God. We almost thought this whole thing was bullshit. Like, close call. So Warren's a prophet and everybody just kind of like accepts that. It's like, wait a second. Like, you believed your whole life Rulon was going to wake up, and now Warren's just like, no, he's not going to wake up, but I'm now your new prophet. <laughs> like, what? I am your leader now. I I am the captain now. There we go. That's what I was going for. Yeah, so he just makes shit up as he goes. You know what I mean? Oh, man, they've been making shit up as they go since the very beginning with the plates and oh, stuff. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Like, this whole damn thing (laughs) is made up. Well, I mean, you can't bag on somebody's religion, but... I mean, people bag on our religion all the time, so it's fine. But everybody believes weird shit. Like, I get that. I understand that. It's just... I don't like this culty stuff. It's really wild. So anyway, actually, I do like it. That's the problem. That's why I'm so interested in this stuff. 
That's why we're here right now. I know. Yeah. So Warren says, hey, guys, I'm Rulon. I'm, he's made new through me. And they're like, oh, good, great. Some people actually didn't say, oh, good, great. They didn't like that. They were like, that's a bullshit answer. And they kind of like left, which is good. But then a couple days or a week after his dad dies, he starts marrying all of his dad's wives. Oh, yeah. great. Warren already had a bunch of wives and kids. But then his dad dies and now there's like 65 women up for grabs, I guess, is how he looks at it. So he starts marrying all of his dad's wives, except his biological mom, obviously. Uh, that's not obvious. I, you, yeah, you yeah. can't say obviously. I guess I needed to say that, yeah. And I need to know, too, is this like 65 individual wedding ceremonies, or is it like one collective, yes. like, you're all mine now? Oh, no. He married, there was, he would marry multiple of them in the same day, but each one had their own little, like, vow ceremony thing. But he wow. would marry, like, six a day. Wow. He marries all of his dad's wives except his biological mom and two other women. One who I think he kicked out because of some perceived wrongdoing or whatever. And then another one who always had a really contentious relationship with him. She was younger than him, so he taught her at that Alta Academy. And she hated him. And he hated her. It was like a big problem. And when Rulon dies, she's like, I am not marrying Warren Jeffs. Like, there's no way. So she escaped. So his mom, this lady Rebecca who escaped, and then one other lady who was kicked out. Other than that, he married all of his dad's wives. The reason I bring up the Rebecca girls, she's going to be kind of important in a minute. I mean, she's important. Everybody's important all the time, but she's real important to this story. So Warren is the prophet now, and he's the worst. Besides marrying all of his dad's wives and just nobody liking him anyway, he was kind of a doomsday guy, like more than the other leaders were. He preached like end of time shit that the world was going to end. Right. Like revelation stuff. Yes. So, and something about like, because the Olympics were coming to Salt Lake, that was a sign that it was all over and the world was coming to an end. I don't know if you remember that, when the Winter Olympics were in Salt Lake. Um... 2002. I remember when they were in Salt Lake. I do not remember the world ending, but to be fair, in our lifetime- No, it didn't end. It well, didn't end. Well, thank you. I, I did I did realize that, but we've had like seven or eight different like world ending times in our lifetime, so- Oh, yeah, yeah. They all kind of get mixed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This wasn't public anyways. It wasn't like Warren Jeffs was telling everybody the world was ending. He was only telling- They only talk to each other in this group. They don't tell everybody. So he tells everybody that's still in Salt Lake- that they need to come down to Short Creek. They all need to combine and collectively all be together to be able to be saved when the world ends because God's going to destroy Salt Lake. So this is when Short Creek, Short Creek, the Crick, Short Creek, whatever the fuck. Short Creek near Hurricane. Yeah, yeah, Hurricane. What the, f whatever. Yeah. So this is when it went from like 3,000 people to like 10,000 people in Short Creek. The FLDS is huge and they're all in Short Creek now. So once they all get there and they're building all these houses and kind of took over everything, the world didn't end. And they're like, hey, Prophet, um, remember about that world ending thing? Like, what happened with that? And he's like, oh, I'm just kidding. It was just a test. Ooh, cult love tests. They love tests. And so they were like, oh, like, did we fail or pass? Like, what happened? <laughs> like, and he's like, well, God gave us more time to be more righteous. Before he ends the world and sit like he he needed more time to decide if we were worthy enough to be saved. So everything got more strict because he's like, you got to be better. You guys aren't being good enough for us to be saved. 
So this is he this is why he does like the prairie dresses. They all have to wear pastel colors, no prints, the magic long underwear, their hair all has to be done the same. He has videos and books on how you have to do your hair. Every little bit of freedom they had before this was gone after 2002. Just all gone. Yeah. And he would preach that their salvation depended on it. It depended on whether or not he was happy. Like it turned from trying to please God into pleasing the prophet. He would teach that the prophet could do no wrong and you can't question him and all that. Remember, I was telling you he started teaching more that the prophet was God, pretty much. So all they could do to try to be saved was please him. And you can't question anything. So he also was upsetting families all the time, like at will. He would just go like, oh, this guy is unworthy. He has sinned, whatever he thought the sin was. And he would just send a father away. Like some guy who's got nine wives and 80 kids. And then he would just split up their kids into different houses and split up the wives into new husbands and just like punish some guy for no reason. This is just a wild thing. I mean, and this wasn't even that long ago. This is just crazy time, man. Yeah. And he would do the same thing to women. He would send them off into like houses of hiding and punishment houses and stuff for some perceived wrong that they did and take their kids and put them in different families and just mixed everything up. But he was using it as manipulation because if a man was kicked out and said he was unworthy and his wives were given to other people and stuff like that, he would say like, okay, you can have three of my 12-year-old daughters so that you can let me back in. Wow. Yeah, they would try to like get back into the good graces by haunting their kids and their families and shit. It was really awkward. It's pretty weird, yeah. So if anybody did leave or escape, they couldn't take their 50 kids with them. They had no idea where they were going. They were literally taught their whole lives that if they left the church, they would like go up and smoke at the end of the driveway. Like they ne- they had no idea what would happen if they left. So when people would escape, they couldn't take their kids because they didn't know where they were going. So they would escape and then try to go back for their kids and then the church wouldn't give them their kids. It was really bad. And, th- and all of this is getting like pretty unchecked by the authorities because Hilldale, you Utah and Colorado City were all FLDS. The mayor, the police, everything. So Lawless Land was still was still intact. Yeah. So all of this is going unchecked. And it wasn't really until all these homeless teenage boys started showing up, like in the surrounding communities and Vegas. And, and they're like, Where are, why are all these boys homeless? Warren was kicking out teenage boys. Because when you're marrying all the young girls off to old men, then you have all these extra boys. What do you do? Who are like, what do I do? Yeah. You leave. And it wasn't even just like, oh, you're free to go. Pack up your stuff and leave. They would just drive them a hundred miles away and just kick them out of the car. Did the boys know that's where they were going, or was it just like a Hey, we're going on a trip. And I don't know. This is the end of the road. No, I think they kind of figured it out. But really, to be honest with you, I mean, obviously that sucks. And the first couple months was, I'm sure, hell on earth trying to figure out what to do. But it was better than their life in the FLDS because the church just used children, especially boys, as free labor. That's how they made all their money. All these businesses and construction companies, they, they did a ton of construction and farming pecan orchards they would just use these young boys as free labor wow and they were making a shitload of money they would win all these construction contracts because they could charge half as much as the competition because they didn't have to pay labor and they could get it done super quick because they had like 90 people that could work on it all the time so they were making tons of money but that was pretty much the only thing teenage boys were good for otherwise they were just a distraction to the teenage girls that they were trying (laughs) to marry to old men yeah but this is when the authorities started kind of paying attention but there's no way to infiltrate a closed society like this they don't take applications for new members they're not a 
convert cult, they're a generational cult. So you have to be like born into it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's no way for the authorities to get in there and break this shit up. So Warren starts forcing younger and younger girls to marry older men because, you know, once you marry off all the 20-year-olds, then you got to move to 19-year-olds. And then once those are all gone, you got to move to 16-year-olds. And once those are all gone, 13-year-olds, you know. Oh, man. Yeah. It just keeps getting worse and worse. And the brides and the forced marriages get younger and younger, including himself. He had one bride that was 12 years old, but he picked her at nine to be his bride. But he waited until she was 12 to marry her. That's crazy. In mm-hmm. what world is oh, someone, yeah. like, I don't even get, like, a grown man looking at, like, a 12-year-old girl and being like, perfect, you know? like In what world does a father deliver their 12-year-old daughter Yeah, that's to a whole other, a whole a other grown thing. Man right. to marry. Absolutely. I do want to have so much sympathy for these people because they are completely brainwashed, and I totally understand that. But at the same time, I'm like, gah, feel like you should all be in jail. They all knew what was going on. But then you have to think, but it's like they didn't know it was wrong. So it's like, ugh. But this is when shit starts to hit the fan. His own nephews and children of his that had been kicked out or escaped started cooperating with the authorities and claiming that Warren had been sexually assaulting kids as young as six and eight years old way back when he was the principal of Ulta Academy. Yeah, that makes sense. Like when a kid would, yeah, like when a kid would get in trouble at school, he would like call him into his office and then he'd be a real pedophile creep about it. Dude, I hate, I hate this already. Yeah. So then remember his dad's wife, Rebecca, that escaped because she didn't want to marry Warren? I do. She helped her younger sister escape. And her younger sister's name was Elisa. And she was forced to marry her first cousin when she was only 14 by Warren Jeffs. And her cousin was an adult and he was abusive piece of shit. And she pleaded with Warren for years for like, well, she pleaded with him before he made her marry him to not make her marry him like anybody else she wasn't even like i'm 14 i'm too young she was like just not him please wow but anyway she was married to him for a long time was forced to have a bunch of kids and there was no way to 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 get out of this like warren would not let her out of this and so she finally just escaped with the help of that sister rebecca and they decided to try to take warren jeffs down and they cooperated with the utah authorities because the authorities were like looking for people who escaped to help them take this guy down because they knew bad shit was happening but they couldn't prove it so he was charged in 2005 in arizona with assault on a minor and conspiracy to commit sexual assault on a minor oh good and they issued an arrest warrant and then in 2006 he was charged with accomplice to rape in utah for rebecca's sister elisa for that forced marriage when she was 14 they charged him as an accomplice to rape which is I mean, they had to get creative with the charges because they were like, we don't know how to charge somebody with forcing somebody to get married, you know? Yeah. So. I will say, though, this guy took the fall for a lot of bad dudes. Oh, yeah. So they issued an arrest warrant in Utah for Elisa's case. And this is when the FBI gets involved because he's on the run. Warren Jeffs just takes like millions of dollars and takes a bunch of his wives and buys a bunch of plain clothes. And they go to Disneyland. They go to Vegas. They're just traveling all around just being total sinners. I mean, doing all the shit they're not allowed to do. They're like watching porn in their hotel rooms in Vegas and shit. Cool. Like it's, they're just Great. doing whatever they want. <sighs> 
Yeah. So the FBI puts him on their most wanted list, which is pretty big honor. I mean. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Not everybody makes that prestigious list. Yeah. So the FBI puts him on the most wanted list and he's still on the run for a while. But by August of 2006, outside of Las Vegas on the 15 freeway, like between here and Utah, a cop pulled over a red Cadillac Escalade for speeding and inside Warren Jeffs. FBI most wanted list. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was like, oh, that was a big arrest. Yeah, that didn't happen very often. Yeah. People were kind of really pissed off, though, about this Red Escalade situation because one of his rules for a long time had been that they were not allowed to wear the color red. Why is that? Because it stands out? I don't know. There's there's different things about it, but like the color red was evil. They weren't allowed to use it. Guess they weren't Angels fans. I've heard like 18 explanations of why. Some said that it represented the devil. Some said that it represented the blood of Christ and it was black. Blasphemous. Some, you know, like, I don't sure. know why, but red was not allowed. But then he was in a red Cadillac Escalade, so it was kind of like, you little bitch. That sounds more like him. Yeah, so he, they extradite him to Utah, and he tries to commit suicide in jail, but unfortunately they, like, found him, and it was in time, so he lived. And... At trial, his followers were still defending this guy, but he used the defense that it was religious persecution, that he was on trial because he was being judged for being a polygamist. And they're like, yeah, it's super illegal to be a polygamist, but also 12, 14 year olds, like that's the bigger problem here, dude. That's a much bigger problem. Yeah, we're not charging you for polygamy. And he's like, but that's the only reason you're arresting me is because I'm a polygamist. And they're like, no, it's because they're 12 and 14 and you're forcing them to get married. It's the pedophilia man it's not the polygamy it's the the tittling of kids so rebecca and her sister testify which was like a really big deal because their entire community kind of like made them public enemy number one because of this so but they they stood their ground and they were like this is wrong like we need to stop him and he was found guilty and he was sentenced to 10 years in jail well that's a good thing which is not nearly enough but at least it's something So Arizona decided to drop the charges after the Utah conviction because the victims in the Arizona case decided not to testify. Because remember, like I said, they, Elisa and her sister, Rebecca, they got treated pretty badly by the people that were still in the FLDS. Yeah. So the Arizona victims dropped the charges. But while he was in jail, the followers ramped up. They bought a 1,700-acre property in Texas, and they named it the Yearning for Zion Ranch. Oh, it just rolls right off the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> they call it YFZ, which also doesn't roll off the tongue as much as you want it to. Try saying it YFZ. It doesn't work. YFZ. YFZ. Yeah, it sucks. No, it's not great. Yeah, but this ranch is huge. Remember I told you they're really good at construction and all that kind of stuff? So they build a 29,000 square foot home for Warren Jeffs and his 80-something wives. And they build this huge temple, the first FLDS temple. I mean, it's huge. And it's big and it looks like a Mormon temple. And Texas was like, hey, we normally mind our own business. We try not to be like super nosy. But the fuck is going on over on that ranch? They started to notice like, what is this huge temple? What are these big ass buildings? Like what is going on over there? Because Texas doesn't mess around since like that whole Waco and the Branch Davidian shit. They're like, guys, cults, we don't want them. Stop. Yeah, yeah. We don't do that no more. Yeah. So Texas is taking notice and the FLDS starts moving the worthy followers to this ranch. And it's mostly like men who could do the labor and build it. And then women and children, 500 to 700 of them. I mean, and they're building houses and all kinds of stuff there, but five to 700 of them are sent there. A lot of them are sent there 
without their parents. Well, yeah, of course they were. Yeah. But like, especially because of all the splitting up that Warren Jeffs did and like moving kids into other families that were, remember when I told you he would cast somebody out and then split up the families? Like all these kids aren't even like with their biological parents. Some are, but a lot of them aren't. So by 2008, this is a sprawling, huge compound. And they're literally just waiting for Jeffs to break down the walls of prison and walk out. They really believe that he's just going to like bust down the walls and get it. Like if they're faithful enough, the walls will just crumble and he'll walk out. I really believe that they really believe this. Yeah. I totally believe that they're like, yeah, no, this is right. It's like, no, no, it's not. I know. So in this in 2008, a call comes in to the Texas authorities. An emergency call comes into like a, a hotline. I don't know if it was CPS hotline or 911. I'm not sure. But it's a teen girl and she says that she's pregnant with her second child and she's 16 and she's being held against her will at the YFC ranch. Texas was like, perfect. That's all we needed to go in there and figure out what the hell's going on. So they show up full force, guns, droves of Texas authorities, CPS workers, everything. And they remove hundreds of women and children from this YFZ ranch. They had to spend months figuring out who everybody was because of the way that they had been like split up and sent there without their parents and all the incest. And so flashbacks of the Short Creek raid are being shown in the media. They're like, oh my God, they're doing it again type thing. Then they find out that this phone call was a hoax it was a prank call, but it was too late. There was evidence of sex crimes against kids when they went in to, to find this girl that the call was about. So they had to keep investigating because they found evidence of like 14-year-olds that were pregnant. God Damn. So the FLDS women go on like this press tour. They go on Good Morning America and on every news channel and they're just in their prairie dresses crying about how the government's stealing their kids again and begging for them to give their kids back. And of course, this gained sympathy again. But the Texas authorities were like, fuck you guys. Like, we're not shook. We're going to figure <laughs> out who each one of these kids are before we give them. We're not going to just give them back. We got to figure out if they're in danger or not. Sorry. And because you guys won't tell us who they are and whose kids they are, they had to like take DNA. DNA and blood tests and figure it out. Eventually, all the kids would be returned to their moms, but six FLDS members were charged with sex crimes against kids as a direct result of this raid. I mean, only six, like pretty good for them. Yeah. So the authorities realized pretty right away that they were in over their head and they called Rebecca and her sister, Elisa. And they're like, do you think maybe you could come to this ranch in Texas and like help us figure out who all these people are and what the hell's going on here? And so they did. She went out there and she helped them figure out who all the people were and connect all the dots because everybody has like the same six last names because they're all related. Yeah, 100%. And they all look alike too. Yeah. And so she tried to help them with all that. And then she told them that there's going to be evidence there that the FLDS likes to document things, even illegal things sometimes. And she's like, you've got to search that temple. Like they were trying to be respectful and not go into the temple, which is kind of weird. But they know that that's sacred and they were trying to be respectful of their religion. And Rebecca's like, no, you got to go in there. There's going to be stuff in there. And so they went in, which they tried to be really respectful about. They didn't want to, like, batter ram the doors or anything. They tried to get the people on the ranch to, like, unlock the doors and let them in, and they wouldn't. So they had to bust the door down, but they didn't want to. Anyway, when they get in, they search the temple, and they find this real yucky bed up on the top floor. There's, like, this room that's really white. Everything's white. The carpet, the curtains, the bed, everything. And there's like, all these knee 
ceiling posts all around the bed. I don't like where this is going at all. Nope, you're not gonna. No, I, I can tell I'm not going to. Oh, yeah. It's for um, religious uh, ceremonies is what they call it, uh, where he has sex with a child and then makes other people watch and learn. Holy. He thinks. What? Yeah, it's real fucked up. So then they find this vault and that's where they find like all the marriage records and all that kind of stuff. But they find an audio tape of Warren sexually assaulting a 12 year old girl. Oh, other people were forced to watch. What? Yeah, it's gross. It's pretty fucked up. I hate all of this. But this is the good part. This is the part where, like, we got him. Here's your crime. So Texas charges him with felony sexual assault on a minor. And Utah drops the charges that they had against him so that they could extradite him to Texas. Because they're like, oh, yeah, Texas is going to give him the death penalty. (laughs) You know, they're like, go. They know Texas doesn't mess around. So they're like, yes, we want him to go to Texas and face these charges. So a few other members, former members and even current members, once they find out about this and his own children all testify against him at this trial and that he's been a pedophile forever and that this whole thing has been a grooming thing so that he can sexually assault children and it only got worse once he became a prophet. Good God. Yeah. And when Rebecca testified, she wore a red shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she did. I love it. She even wrote a book that was that's called The Witness Who Wore Red or The Witness in Red. Yeah, I thought that was a cute little like fuck you. It was like her sweet way of saying fuck you. She wore a red shirt to the trial. I love it. So she's like super sweet. She would never say fuck you, but like I feel like it's that her, was her fuck It's you. her subtle way. I love that. Yeah, that's her most fuck you she's going to ever have, I think. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. So in 2011, he was convicted in Texas because they had this trial and then he represented himself and he was a big idiot. And then all these people came and testified and you could tell the jury was like, oh, yeah, this guy sucks. And then like right towards the end, they played that audio tape and I think the jury wanted to kill him, but they couldn't. So they're like, "Okay, we're just going to just convict him (laughs) and sentence him to life in prison. But you could tell after the audio tape was played, like everybody wanted to kill him. Yeah, I believe it. I kind of want to. Well, I don't kind of. I do want to. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if you look at pictures of this guy too, like he looks like a creep. Like if they look creepy, they probably are. I I probably shouldn't say it, but I'm going to because oftentimes they are. Yeah. Well, and he acted creepy. There was definitely signs and everybody in this thing missed him. So he sentenced to life plus 20 years because they're not fucking around in Texas. So that really should be the end of the FLDS and and this episode, especially because he admitted on tape from jail that he's not the real prophet. Like he literally was like, I'm just a phony. I'm not the real thing. Oh, good. Well, at least he did one thing, right? Right. Uh, But it's not the end because his followers are like, well, yeah, of course. They manipulated his voice to say that. Yep. They literally still believe that he is falsely imprisoned and that he's their prophet and he can't do anything wrong. And they're like, what about like these 12 year old girls? What? That's wrong. And they're like, no, prophets don't do wrong. Even if it looks wrong to you, it's not wrong. Wow. Yeah. So he continued for a long time issue orders from prison. He calls them edicts or revelations or something. I don't fucking know. He's a shot caller, man. And we don't even really know if they're coming from him, to be real honest, because they're like relayed through other people. I don't know. Maybe they're not even from him. We don't know. But we're pretty sure because he's the only weirdo who would think of stuff like this. But he continued to issue these orders and one of them was no more sex. Just at all? Just straight abstinence? Yeah. 
Even married couples, no sex. Obviously, it's always been no sex for anybody who isn't married. But like, even for married couples, no more sex. Huh. And <laughs> how did how did uh, his followers take to that? They just stopped having sex. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. No more babies. Obviously, no more marriages because the prophet's the only one who can perform marriages and place people in marriages and he's in jail. So, so the FLDS is a dying religion. Well, you would think. Except <laughs> that he realized that after a while. Then he started the seed-bearing program or the seed-bearing whatever edict when he realized that that was going to be a problem, that there was going to be no more kids and no more members. So I don't know if you want to know what the seed-bearing is. <laughs> um, yeah, let's. we got to know. I, I can't not know now. Like, I probably don't want to know, but I think I have to know. For no, you don't want to know, but he decided that there's like 12... 15, I don't know how many it is. He decided that there was like a certain amount of men that were pure enough in their religion and their bloodline to reproduce. And only those men should reproduce. So he called them the seed bearers. So now what they do is, I don't know if this is still going on, but this was going on for a while. Um, Warren would say like, okay, this couple, you know, John and Mary say, you can have a baby or whatever, but it's not going to be them having a baby. What happens is these three guys show up in what in black robes, these three seed bearers, and two of them take notes, and then the wife lays there and holds her husband's hand while the other one no. impregnates her. No way. Yeah. No way. Uh-huh. What? Yeah. So that actually led to a lot of people leaving and escaping. They were like, oh, fuck that. This Even some people were like, that's enough. <laughs> You know, if this is what we got to do to get into heaven, then I don't want to be going there. Wow. And like the husband's just supposed to sit there and like. Yes. And hold her hand. And enjoy. Like, is he like happy this is happening? I don't He's know. Like, Thank God. I don't know. They don't let people in on that. So I don't know. I'd punch him. I'd punch somebody right in the face. I, I just wouldn't. Yeah, I would not right. hold back. I'd just be like, no. Here, yeah. take note on this. Yeah, so these orders are, like, getting weirder and weirder from prison, like, really strict on different foods they can and can't eat, just stupid shit. And then really bizarre shit, like this seed-bearing thing, like, that is bizarre as fuck. So people are leaving at some point, and now the big issue that they have is that half of these families are still in, and half are escaping. And the issue is custody. So, like, if a mom escapes and a dad stays... How does she get her kids? Even when the courts say, like, she gets custody of the kids, she goes to get them and the kids won't go with her or the dad doesn't let them or the church hides them. So that's the big thing that's going on right now is all these custody battles where half of a family is in and half is out. This whole thing is just a mess from yeah, from plates to this. This entire thing is just like it should have gotten this far. You know, like people need to be like, hey, that guy said that he read something off of some plates in a dream. No, he didn't. Yeah. And just yeah. move on. <laughs> yeah. But the big the big thing now, though, with the with the church is all these custody battles. This is where we get the missing kids now that I was telling you about in the beginning. There's been a few moms who have gotten out and regained custody and they go back and they find their kids. There's been some where they go back, they can't find their kids. Then there's been some that have gone back, found their kids, get them out of there, are living on the outside for like a certain amount of time, and then all of a sudden their kids go missing. And they don't know if they ran away back to the church or if the church kidnapped them. Like, they don't know. They're just gone. I'm guessing the church kidnapped them. I know a lot of kids, and none of them are running back to church. 
<laughs> None of them. No one's like, take me back to church, please. Yeah. Not happening. Yeah, they're but you're kidnapped. talking about regular kids. These kids are not regular. They're brainwashed. They think they're literally going to hell because their mother took them away from their church. They think they're going to burn up and die. This is out of control. I cannot believe this is still happening here. This is ridiculous. Yeah. There's eight kids right now that are missing from FLDS families that have left the church. So Lorraine Jessup is missing three children. She woke up one morning and her front door was just wide open in February of this year. And no all three way. of her kids were gone. Really? Yeah. And like nobody's investigating that? Like it's not a bigger issue for like the police, the FBI, anybody? Yeah. I mean, people are investigating. It's on the news and shit. Like, and there's reporters, you know, they know they're in the church, but it's like, is it voluntary or did the church kidnap them? They don't know. So there's Sarah Johnson's son, Salome. He's been missing since 2021. Another lady named Miranda Johnson has three sons that have been missing since October of last year. And Elizabeth Roundy, her daughter Elintra, has been missing since January of this year. Wow. And what's really concerning about all that is it's more than just uh, brainwashing and they want to go back to the church or back to their family that's still in the church. Because they can't talk. If they leave, they can't talk to anybody in the church. And the people in the church cannot talk to the people on the outside. It's like totally forbidden. But the really scary part about what's been going on lately is that apparently Warren Jeffs recently has been issuing new edicts and revelations or whatever the fuck he calls them that are pretty sketchy and they're calling for all the worthy and all the children to gather. So I'm pretty sure we'll be hearing about what fucking tragedy that's going to end up being. Right? Like a mass suicide on its way? Yeah, something's going on. These edicts are like not good. And he's calling for, like, the worthy and the children to gather together. So something bad's happening. So. Wow. And it's this whole thing is, like, a total mess, too, because, like, when he doesn't do anything for a while from prison, it's like, what's he up to, you know? And then his followers don't know what to do, and they're kind of, like, lost. And then... They get these weird power struggle things that go on. Mm -hmm. There was this one guy, his name's Samuel Bateman. He decided to just tell everybody he's the new prophet and that Warren Jeffs died because they hadn't heard from him in a long time. And all these people are so fanatical and so in this religion. They're like, well, we don't want to be wrong. Like, if this guy is the new prophet, we don't want to not follow him, you know? Jeez. So they just, like, followed this guy and, like, started giving him all their money and his their kids and his wives and whatever he was arrested last year in flagstaff i think in arizona and he had a horse trailer full of like 11 to 14 year old girls that were all wearing like wedding rings and then they took those kids from him and the adult wives and then those there was eight of those kids and they all went missing from a group home that they were in while they were trying to figure out who they were and turns out that his adult wives like picked them back up from the group home like kidnapped them so now they're all in jail and they're all awaiting trial trying to figure out what the fuck's going on with that who there's a lot going on man yeah so if you're wondering how the flds is a crime this is how yeah no i get it now because man. it's, it's all over the place constant with the pedophilia i don't know what the fucking deal is with that how these pedophiles always find other pedophiles to like fucking chum around with i've never understood that because like how do you even start that conversation to like yeah how do you even know one to be like hey by the way i like this do you like it and it's yeah like, i don't know i don't know like that's got to be something like there's i don't know there's got to be like a code word or so i don't know <laughs> something because otherwise how do so many of them find each other in these like places you know like where where do you go to be like yeah i don't know this is what we're into and this is how you find out if anybody came to me and was like, hey, I have a 12-year-old. Do you want to date her? I'd be like, what? I'd call the police. No. 
Yeah. You know, like I'd punch you in the mouth. Something. Yeah. How does it get this far? That's the one thing that I was saying. Like, I want to have sympathy for these people so much. The brainwashed mothers and stuff who now are like fighting so hard to get their children out of this. But at the same time, it's like you put your kids in this. You raised them in this. You are the one that raised them to think like this. You know, so it's hard to have sympathy. Totally. Yeah, no kidding, man. But then at the same time, you're like, but I know you're brainwashed. So it's like, ugh, I get it. So, I mean, I don't get it. I would never be involved in this. But if I was born into it, how would you know any different? Yeah, I get that. So. Wow. Well, that was some wild stuff. Yeah, but that's just on on a basic cellular level. Just say you were born and you had nothing in your brain. I feel like you would still know that, like, touching a kid is wrong. <laughs> that just feels like something, like, I as would... a mother, Yeah. you would think your instinct would be to protect your little child, not to give them to a man when you know what he's going to do to her. So it's hard for me. On the moms, it really is. The dads, it's like, you all are gross and you all belong in jail. But the moms, it's like, how can you do this? I don't know. It's all bad from top, bottom, middle. Uh, The whole thing is just ridiculous. Good Lord. Yeah. All right. Well, you ready to get out of here? Yeah, this was a ended up being a very long episode. Sorry. No, it it did. But um, I have a question for you, though, before we end. Oh, what? What did they find in Jeffrey Dahmer's shower? Head and shoulders. I think so. It's a hit. People love it. What was the answer? Head and shoulders. <laughs> See? Here we go. See, I knew if it was more like in your lane, like hair related or something, uh. it, it hit you a little bit better. So, hair related. I mean, I was trying to pull something out for you. So for those who didn't hear all of it, what did they find in Jeffrey Dahmer's shower? Head and shoulders. And Erica loves it. it I, I love it because it's so bad. All right. Well, that was a wildly entertaining episode with so much that I didn't know, so much that I didn't want to know, and so much that's going to keep me up at night. But hey, that's why we do this. So anyway. Yep. Well, now that we've offended all the Mormons. And most of Utah. Yeah, all of Utah. Completely. 100%. Hurricane and River Creek. (laughs) All the Jeffrey Dahmer fans. Or anti-Jeffrey Dahmer <laughs> Look, fans. if he's got fans, we can offend him. That's fine. And that's a good joke. Yeah. So, All right. Well, anyways, if you're LDS and you're offended, I'm really sorry about that. You can go We're to our Instagram, at From Crime to Crime, and tell us all about it. But leave a comment, because <laughs> comments are better than DMs. If you're FLDS and you're offended, though, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you can also go to our Instagram, at From Crime to Crime, and leave us a comment so that we can all see it. They don't have phones. They have computers. They don't have electronics. Uh, no, they don't. You're thinking of the Amish. Way different. No, baby. FLDS does not have access to the media. Oh, my God. Okay. Just... They're not supposed to. Well, then I guess we don't have to worry about offending FLDS. So, Yeah. All right. But that's why I said LDS. We've so. been here too long. Let's get out of here. I love you. All right. Love you too. Bye. Bye. This podcast has been a production of Orange Halo Media, LLC, hosted by Grand Narica. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. To chat with us, go to From Crime to Crime on Instagram, From Crime to Crime on TikTok, From Crime the Number Two Crime on Twitter, or you can visit our website at FromCrime2Crime.com. See you next Wednesday.